Welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we work to recover the dignity and mission of vocation. Learn more at metronmanager.com. Okay, welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Nowlin. We are back with session 11 of this 12-part series of talks that I call Theology of Work 101. This 12-episode series is a concise teaching that will help introduce you to the theology of work and help you recover the dignity and mission of vocation. This series is derived from my book titled Managing Your Metron, A Practical Theology of Work, Mission, and Meaning. I believe this series of talks will be crucial in helping you become a successful Metron manager. I hope you are being inspired and challenged by this series. Welcome back to session 11. So we're going to continue to explore the cultural mandate, but before we do that, The first step is to really get an idea of what is culture. Here's a few basic definitions. The behaviors, beliefs, and characteristics of a particular social, ethnic, or age group. Patterns of accepted behavior, the beliefs and values that promote and reinforce them. 1 Corinthians 8.5 gets to a curious point in scripture. says, for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, for indeed, there are many gods and many lords. So the Apostle Paul is mentioning, he's, he's not saying there aren't any false gods out there. There are not any uh, other entities, so to speak, that are trying to become God or claim to be God. He's just saying, yeah, indeed, there are many. There are so-called gods uh, that are out there. So those so-called gods are what we're dealing with here when we're dealing with culture. Because the point of origin of any culture is found primarily in its allegiances to spiritual entities and the rituals of relationship with those entities that have emerged. So what the devil is up to is he's trying to compete with God for allegiance. And whatever he can do to entice people into worshiping him then creates a cultural equation. He's leveraging that system that God created to get worship for himself and then in doing so, to be the one that informs culture, to informs what's spiritually normative all around. Cultures and their worldviews are better seen as organic. They're ever-changing systems rather than as static, harmonious systems in which change is bad. This is what Paul Hebert says in Transforming Worldviews. So he's an incredible thought leader in uh, missiology and anthropology. So he understands cultures and worldviews as not static, but always changing. And this is true. This is true in you. It's true in your country. It's true in your metron. Things are always moving, always fluctuating. The variables are always needing to be dealt with, to be cultivated and subdued and stewarded, guarded, watched, protected, kept, all those things we talked about in theology of work. 
So what is culture? Let's look at what culture is and what it's not, just to help us clarify our lens. So culture is behaviors, beliefs, characteristics, and practices of a people. It's changeable, malleable, flexible. It's acquired, informed by histories, context, worldview structures, and it's ultimately supernatural. Culture is not ethnically determined, linguistically determined, biologically inherited, nor is it morally neutral. For every aspect of culture comes from somewhere and it means something. There's always a moral agent of some kind behind the formation of culture, of what culture is. So it's not morally neutral. Let's talk about why culture exists. This system that I made mention of, that the devil likes to try to hijack. So, N.T. Wright says in his book, Simply Christian, you become like what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. G.K. Beale says, what we revere, we resemble, either for ruin or restoration. A couple of scriptures that allude to this same, this same uh, concept. One's found in Jeremiah 2.5. The Bible says, they worshiped worthless idols, those lesser gods we talked about, only to become worthless themselves. Psalms 115, those who make them will become like them, everyone who trusts in them. So culture was designed to be a glorious testimony of what creation, what reality can be like when mankind aligns with God, when we worship God, we produce a culture, an environment that is stewarded, guarded, and protected, and is incredibly life-giving and incredibly beautiful. It's reflecting the one true God. It's reflecting the one that is informing it. Culture also takes on the characteristics of the kingdom of darkness when the system is corrupted by idolatry. This is why the Bible is so hard on idolatry, because whatever you gaze at, you become like, for better or worse, like G.K. Beale says, either for ruin or restoration. So the, the concept with culture is that whatever you fix your eyes on and whatever you value, whatever you worship, you become like. And that was a design that God put in place for righteous purposes. He wanted his children to become like him. So the goal was that they would worship him, they would fix their eyes on him, and the more they did that, the more they would become like their father. This was his redemptive design in creation. This is that becoming more like whatever you gaze upon, that formation of culture, that system, was for God's purposes. To, so that he would be manifest through his people, his children. His children would look like their dad in creation and in the world around them. And they would serve and they would rule like their dad. They would become like him. Now, the, the goal of the enemy is to corrupt that cycle, that system, so that mankind would get their eyes off God, worship the enemy, the enemy of our souls, the one who wanted to be like God and was thrown out of heaven because of that ambition, he wants mankind to focus on him, become like him, so that his ways are glorified and manifest in the earth. He wants to still compete with God, but the only way he can do that is to do it through people that willingly worship him. This is why your worship has to be, or your work has to be done as worship, has to be done as worship as under the Lord. Because otherwise, if you're doing it for the enemy, you're magnifying him and his cultural 
norms and ambitions into God's creation. And when you introduce the wrong software into God's hardware, things stop working. It's like putting the wrong operating system, the wrong code on the wrong computer platform, and it just shorts out. It will not even start. And we see so much damage and destruction in the world around us because we've willingly, sinners have definitely willingly done this, and those that are saved as well have lent credibility and opportunity to the enemy of our souls to introduce his ways into God's operating system. So his, the enemy's software is being sourced and coded into God's creation, and it causes a multi-dimensional mess. It's a corruption of God's design. Culture exists as a function of God's original design. It was designed as the mechanisms through which the identity and the family of God would be validated. So people and the world and the spiritual forces of darkness would look at you and say, he looks like Jesus. That one looks like Jesus. So culture was intended to testify of the beauty and the order that could be found when God's original design is realized. God designed culture to be the system by which mankind could manifest the realities of heaven into the context of creation. Someone, here's the ultimate truth, you guys. Someone is going to code the culture of your Metron. It's either going to be co-laboring coding with God, or it's going to be co-laboring and coding with the enemy. There is no neutral, safe space in any Metron or in creation. If you leave that space uncoded, unguarded, unkept, uncultivated, you're not doing work in that space. It's going to be overgrown by weeds and corruption, and it'll look like the enemy of our souls, and it'll operate like the enemy of our souls, and it will not function. It'll eventually bring death, destruction. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And that is what will happen in your Metron and the world around you if the wrong software is introduced. This is why culture matters. This is why discipling nations and making disciples who make things right is a multidimensional discussion. It's not just making converts. It's making people who observe all that God has commanded because you cannot abdicate this cultural formation to the enemy. So the enemy is the ultimate hacker, I call him. So at that time, Adam and Eve received the original commission. They also received authority over creation, described metaphorically as keys. The keys, or the delegated authority, was the prize that Satan intensely desired. So the ongoing struggle seen throughout Scripture, in which we find ourselves involved, is the struggle, struggle for who will be worshipped. Who will mankind value? Who will mankind behold? Who will mankind resemble? Whose presence will radiate into our metrons? What will shape the inner man? How will the metrons culture look once mankind has become what they have held? That's the real culture war. If you want to talk about culture wars, it's not this silly stuff we see in the media and on the news. It's all about what's happening in the heavenlies and what's going on with worship. So if we're really going to understand what we need to do, we need to really understand what the enemy's out to do. Him being the ultimate hacker and his kingdom. So the enemy relies on the same mechanism of beholding and becoming to manifest his will and his ways into creation. So culture is like a stage where Satan constantly stands up to restate 
his prideful ambition to be like God. He said, I will be like God. He wanted to be worshiped. He desires to see his kingdom come and his own will be done on earth as he wishes it would have been done in heaven. This is key to understand. He's still in the game. He still wishes things were done according to his will in heaven. They can't be, they won't be, but he'll try his best to make it on earth the way he wishes it would have been in heaven. That's why Jesus said that when he came, he came to destroy the works of the devil. He knew what the devil was up to. Since he cannot reassert his will in heaven, he seeks to deceive mankind and use them to help him rewrite the system according to his will. In his pride, the enemy believes that the code he writes is as good or better than God's. That's the ultimate lie. That's the ultimate hack, the ultimate deception. He says, I, I can do things how I want to do them. I will be like God, and I'll run that on God's creation. It'll work just as well as what God says. And pride was his downfall. So the lie he wants you to believe is that if you do things his way in God's universe, he will give you everything you want. Like he tempted Christ in the wilderness. This is what he said to Jesus. He said, all this I will give you if you will bow down and worship me. All the kingdoms of the earth, he'll give him everything. And of course, Jesus said no, and we say no. The incentive, he adds, to his deceptions is that I will give it all to you with no accountability and no consequences if you install my code on God's hardware. If you just do things my way in God's universe, the enemy says, I will bless you. In truth, the enemy's code only produces failed humans, failed states, and failed cultures. He's the ultimate hacker, and his software ultimately kills, steals, and destroys. This is why the cultural mandate matters. All of this is going on all the time, and this is what you're about as a Metron manager. This is why guarding, protecting, keeping, and watching over the work of Shamar, the Tereo in the Great Commission, teaching them to observe why it matters so much in what we do as believers. So why does culture exist? Culture could be viewed as a coding system or a software language by which creation would ultimately be conformed to God's will and led into its highest condition. The purpose of the system was to teach the language of heaven for the benefit of earth. It's like an imprint or a, it's a culture is like an imprint that is left on people by whatever they worship. So if you worship idols, you worship false gods, you worship yourself, you get a corrupted imprint. That imprint is almost like a characteristic or a character that's left on you. If you worship the one true God, you get the imprint of heaven, of the ways of God left on your soul. So God's original design was a system by which mankind was intended to align creation with the creator and govern creation according to God's ways. God's ways are the software of heaven. If you get nothing else out of this talk, you got to understand that the ways matter. God's ways. When you read scripture, look for that expression, that term, God's ways, because his ways matter. His ways, getting his ways into earth, into creation, is the software that reverses the effects of the fall. And that's the business we're in. When we talk about being in the kingdom enterprise and reversing the effects of the fall, this is what we're in the business of, is getting God's ways out 
just like we talked about out into creation, culture, your sphere of influence, your metron, all of it matters. Thank you for listening to the Metron Manager Podcast, presented by Jonathan Nowlin and the Metron Manager Project. Remember, God has given you permission and a commission to work. Learn more at metronmanager.com.